0: we are starting a new series. Uh, Let me kick it off with a story. Joni, would you hand me that right there? My daughter, Courtney, is getting ready, getting prepared to potentially move out of the house. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Um, She's looking at some places. And so for our family, this is an exciting time. It's a a melancholy time, a little bit too, um, getting ready for her to kind of fly the nest and Joe and I were reminiscing about it the other night, how fast the time has gone, how we're going to miss her, um, and then, kind of honestly, we began to transition to excitedly talking about what we were going to do with this newfound bedroom that we were going to suddenly have on our hands after 20-some years. Now, I have introduced him to you before, but it's time for another introduction. Um, this right here is Ragsy. Take a good look at Ragsy. Some of his stuff is falling out as I show him to you. As you can tell, Ragsy is not much to look at. Now, Ragsy used to be quite attractive. Um, he was, when Courtney got Ragsy, uh, I think she was either newborn or one-year-old. He came, I believe, from my, uh, my great-aunt, and he was uh, a gunned teddy bear. Back in the early 90s, guns were like the high-end teddy bear, right? And the Eisemans couldn't afford them, but she got this nice gunned teddy bear um, from my aunt. He was fully stuffed. I mean, he was literally at least twice the size. I don't really know quite what happened to him, but he was twice this size, and he was all fluffy and beautiful, a golden chestnut brown color, no, it, nothing like this. Um, he's not any of that anymore. He really is more, at this point, of a rag, actually, <laughs> There's not much stuffing left. It's falling out. He's matted. He's torn. Joan has sewed him up many, many times. He's more of a quilt than he is a stuffed animal. He he is, as we say, well-loved. Courtney, and maybe your kids, too. I remember my brother carried around a blanket, like a hand-knit blanket, until it was literally a square that he would keep in his pocket. Most kids have something like this, a, a special toy. And Courtney, man, Courtney loved... Courtney loves texted Joan this morning. I said, could you find Ragsy, and where did she find it? In her bed. Uh, Courtney loves this dog. There was nowhere she went that Ragsy didn't go, and if Ragsy wasn't with her, heaven forbid, if Ragsy somehow got lost, you would, and parents, you've seen this, you would get a meltdown to end all meltdowns. One time when she was little, she was in her stroll and we took her to the Rockway Mall and she dropped Ragsy somewhere and we didn't realize until we got home and so we had to go back and retrace our steps to find Ragsy because it was the only thing that was going to make Courtney happy. To this day, Ragsy, as gross as he is, holds a kind of honorable place in Courtney's room. I said to Joan the other night, as we were dreaming about our plans for the upcoming bedroom, uh, and I knew what her answer would be before I asked the question, uh, we're trying to figure out what we're going to do with all the furniture that she's not going to want, that we're not going to want, and so we were saying there's only one thing you can really do, I guess, get a dumpster. I said, Joan, thinking about the talk, I said, if there's one thing that's not going to be making its way to the dumpster, knowing her answer, I said, if you went in her room right now, what is one thing that you would not put in the dumpster? And she said, Ragsy. See, we've thrown out most of the toys from our kids growing up years, but Ragsy, as yucky as he is, he remains. Why? I mean, you can't display him, right? It's not like we'd put him up on a shelf somewhere. You certainly wouldn't give him to comfort some crying child. He would probably scare the snot out of some poor little kid. What, What is it that would keep us from tossing this matted mutt into the garbage? And the answer is, there's something about the nature of my daughter's love for him that makes Ragsy, who is otherwise an unlovable rag, so valuable. See, I, this is the truth. I thought about it. If this dog somehow got left in the Rockaway Mall tonight, I'd probably still back, drive back to the Rockaway Mall to get Ragsy. I mean, she loved him so much over these years that anybody who loved Courtney, I mean, the reality is Courtney's love for him made me love him. Courtney's love made him valuable to me. Because if you loved Court, you loved her dog, too. I mean, when she was a kid, she loved Ragsy because he was soft and cute and expensive. Now, it's the love that Court has and those who love Court that have made him so valuable. You love Courtney, you love her mutt. Could this possibly be what Jesus was talking about? When he told all of us that would follow him this great new command. Last week, I gave you guys a talk called God in a Box. We talked about what the writers of the books of the Bible refer to as the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant was a conditional promise that existed between God and his people, where essentially it said that if you follow my commands, you'll be blessed, and if you don't follow my commands, you'll see that things aren't going to work out well for you. And most of us, even though Jesus comes to give us a new covenant and he fulfilled the Old Covenant, most of us often live our lives just trying to still live under the Old Covenant. I just got to be good, good, good. If I'm a good person, God will bless me, and I better be careful not to screw up because God will curse me. That's the old covenant. That's gone. Jesus comes... He fulfills all of the laws of the Old Covenant for us. He pays the price for us, the penalty due each of us under the law. He restores us to God. God, if you he were here last week, He no longer makes His presence fullest, fully known in a temple. Instead, there's, this, there's a tearing of the curtain that blocks off the holy from holies. God leaves the box. He leaves the temple. He's not in the church. He's with and in those who would choose to follow Him. And after fulfilling all of the Old Testament laws... Jesus says, there's a new covenant now. I fulfilled the old one for you. I took care of that one for you. There's a new promise between God and man. In fact, this is what he said. He goes, a new command I'm going to give you. Love one another as I've loved you. So you must love one another. It's interesting, the word new there in, in the Greek, it obviously could mean new, but, but it also can mean, uh, it can mean extraordinary or remarkable. Is it possible Jesus is saying, look, I, I'm giving you, there's a new command that's going to underlie how we're going to go forward, and this is it, and it's extraordinary. It's remarkable, and you're all ready for it. What is it, Jesus? Love one another. That's it? That's, you know, there's got to there's, there's be something more, Jesus, right? Now, maybe you've been around the church, or heck, have you even been alive? You've heard this line, love one another, from the Bible. And if you're honest, there's not anything all that remarkable about it. I mean, what's so extraordinary about loving one another? Yeah, 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 Jesus, there's got to be something bigger. What about destiny and, and the future and changing the world? I mean, you must want us to do something bigger or better than loving one another. Here's my question for you this morning. Who taught you how to love? Which might sound like a dumb question, right? But if Jesus is leaving us with one command, he's going, look, there's really one thing that you have to do going forward now that I've kind of taken care of all the old rules and regulations for you. i paid the price. There's only one thing I want you to do. Love one another. Who taught you how to Love. Why do you presume you have any idea what you're doing? Can I get an amen from you ladies? <laughs> Us as husbands generally tend to not really know what we're doing in these areas. When you were a kid growing up, how many of you were involved in any kind of religious training or even just at home where the Ten Commandments were explained to you or taught to you? Raise your hand if you know or knew or could do the Ten Commandments. Just about all of you. How many of you were taken aside by any religious leaders or mom and dad and said, I'm now going to teach you how to love? Because Jesus is going, no, no, those commandments, I mean, yeah, they they still show you the heart of God. They still show you his will and desire. But you don't need to worry about them as much as you need to worry about loving one another. I got a new command for you. If you think I'm overstating the importance of what I'm talking about here, Jesus, at one point, he's trying to explain this new covenant to a people who have been living under these hundreds of rules for thousands of years. And the religious leaders, remember from last week, the sacred men who wanted to protect the old sacred covenant and the old sacred places, which was keeping them in power, they don't like the new covenant. And so they come to Jesus and they try to check him up. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus, out of the 600-plus commandments that underlie the, the Old Covenant, what's the most important one? Because we want to be blessed. And Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like this, is like it. Love your neighbors as yourself. And then I love this. He doubles down on it. All the law... All the stuff you guys have been studying for thousands of years, remember all those things your mom and dad taught you? All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And that's why when we pick the verse to hang in the foyer, that's the one we hung. Because on this commandment hangs Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers, Psalms, Proverbs, Romans, Revelations. You pick the book you want to study. It all hangs on this, love God, love one another. In fact, when he gave the new commandment, he said, here's the deal, by how you do this, how well you love, they'll know if you're my disciples, if you love one another. So let me ask you again, who taught you how to love? Well, you might be thinking, if we were just having a back and forth conversation, well, that's kind of a dumb question. Nobody teaches anyone how to love. Love is something that's natural. Love is is a feeling that comes over you. Love is something you're in, it's not something you do, to which I would tell you that that is the single biggest problem you and I have in understanding what Jesus is up to in our lives and in the world. Because the love that Jesus is commanding and talking about is not something you fall into or do, and it is anything but natural. Love is not a noun here, love is a verb. You, you can be taught how to love, and it is quite unnatural. In fact, if you start doing this, and we're going to work on this over the next couple of months, if you start doing this, it will feel terrible for a long time. Because it is going to go against everything you've been taught. Your flesh is going to catch on fire. You're going to feel like a, a man be having his head held underwater going, this is insanity. Right? But this is what Jesus is calling you to. English is a wonky language sometimes, right? Uh, Sometimes when I go to Guatemala, friends down there are are learning English, and so they'll ask me about an English word, and I'll say it means this. And then they'll go, well, wait a minute, I thought it meant that. You know how we have some English words that mean one thing, and then you say it again? You know, oh, well, it ah, it means that too. So in English, it's interesting. We have one word for love. Love is one of these words. Let me show you what I mean. Uh, I love my dog, Moose, sometimes, I love the Mets. I don't know why. Um, I love this church. I love my wife. I love my kids. How could one word, love, mean all of those things? I mean, it couldn't, right? Because I mean, my wife might sometimes feel like I love her the same way I love my dog. The reality is I should love her in better ways, more, you know, more shown ways than I love my dog. In the, in the language the New Testament was written, in the Greek language, they had a much better way of describing these things. There wasn't one word for love. In fact, I wish these commandments actually had a different word because I think we'd appreciate what Jesus was trying to do here differently. There were, it depends on who, who, uh, what count you want to make, at least six to seven different ways to express love in Greek. The most, three prevalent most ones that you'll, you would see in, in writings of the day, one was eros which was a passionate or a sexual love, right? Uh, We get our our word erotic comes from eros, right? And so, you know, eros is obviously a good thing. We'll talk about it in a few minutes. There's a lot of good with eros. um, But as you know, there's all, you, you know, you can get yourself in trouble quick with eros too, right? And then there was another word, storge. That was kind of like a familiar love and affection between family members. And, and then there was phileo, which is where we get the word Philadelphia from. Phileo is a friendship or a brotherly love, right? I mean, phileo is an interesting one for me, right? Because phileo, like, you know, you meet somebody and over time you start to like them and you become friends. And then something happens, you know, I've got a teenage daughter and, you know, people fall in and out of phileo, hang around with 16 year old girls, man. They're like, phileo, you know, the next week it's a whole new friend group that rolls through the house. Right? So phileo, I mean, that comes and goes is a good thing. Now, these three kinds of love are definitely loves that you fall in and out of. They are driven by feelings and gratifications. These loves are nouns. These loves, these are the ones that you and I are most familiar with. They often occur naturally. And so when Jesus says love one another, what we tend to think is that he's telling us one of these things, do one of these things, have these kind of feelings. Well, I love people, I'm a people person, I love people. I mean, Phileo is the other love verb or love word you see in the New Testament. And so oftentimes we think, well, Jesus just commanded me to love people. I, I, I love people. That's not what he's commanding you. That is not what he's commanding you. That is not what he's commanding. Jesus uses a word that hadn't been used much by the Greeks. It was a word, and if you've been around the church, you understand this a little bit. It was a word called agape. It was the Courtney and Ragsy kind of love. It's the kind of love that Jesus is calling us to that gives value to matted down rag dolls. The old English word for, for this was, the, was charity. It's the kind of love that God bestows on us. Charity was used to express love as a form of a, of a gift, a pure gift. We don't use the word charity much anymore because it has patronizing overtones. It can sound condescending. Nobody wants to be a charity case. But the love, uh, the love Jesus commands us to love others with is this love of charity. It's a gifted love. It has nothing to do with feelings or emotions nor in any way is it natural in fact it's quite unnatural and so with that in mind let me ask you who taught you how to love I mean you're given one command it's the singular commandment of a new covenant shouldn't we care in the new testament Jesus and the the writers that would follow him in the new testament say you need to agape one another 116 times John wrote it this way he said dear friends let us agape one another, right? It's something we do. Let us do this to one another. Let us agape one another. For for agape comes from God. Everybody who agapes has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not agape doesn't know God. Because does anybody know what's coming next? Because God is agape. This is what He is. This is His essence. God is not warm feeling, snugly, cozy, and cute. God is self-sacrificing, charitable, submissively choosing to love. God is not a lover. God is agape. He is love. Most of us, maybe all of us, for most of our lives, you have never really experienced agape. It's not floating around out here. I mean, the best of relationships, sometimes there's hints of it, but almost none of us naturally agape. I loved her so much, but then, well, we were in love, but then he, well, I never really loved her because... My wife, this is going to be embarrassing for her, and she'll, she'll yell at me later. <laughs> my wife is a big Bee Gees fan. And so I've had this song that, that they wrote. Uh, I didn't even know it was their song. It was so good, it was hard for me to believe. Um, I had this uh, song in my head that it turns out that the Bee Gees wrote um, and as I studied this love that I'm really unfamiliar with that most of us don't know about and we think Jesus is saying oh yeah just be nice to one another that's not what he's saying I could almost hear God starting to sing this song to me and over me you know their song to love somebody I'm not going to sing it for you but the, the line, baby, you don't know what it's like. You don't know what it's like. You don't know what it's like to love somebody the way I love you. I just kept thinking about that. Like I could hear God saying, yeah, see, you guys don't know what it's like. Because you haven't done it. You haven't experienced it. You don't know what it's like to love somebody the way I love you. This is how God showed his agape. Among us, he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is agape, not that we agape God, but that he agape us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God has so agape us, remember, he's, you know, God so loved the world, you know what love's translated there? Agape. Dear friends, since God so agape us, we ought to agape one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we agape one another, God where does God live? He's not in the box. If we agape one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. The truth is, at one level or another, we're all a little bit like Ragsy. Ragsy was not created to look like this. Life did this to Ragsy. It's a cruel world out there, my friends. If Ragsy could give me an amen, he probably would. <laughs> this was not meant to be Ragsy's destiny. It wasn't meant to be ours either. See, in our original fashion and form, we were created to be with God and like God. I think that I don't think the scriptures mean that with five fingers and five toes. I think what the the, the writers of scripture, what Moses was telling us there is you were made in the, in the image of God to have agape. You, in our original form, before the fall, before everything got mucked up, we agape quite naturally. But in the fall, when we were broken, the first thing that leaves, and you see it unwind quickly in, in the story of our creation, the first thing that leaves is agape. But what John is saying is that while we may now be unlovely, we are not unloved. While we were yet sinners, while we were at our most unlovely God sent his son. Christ died for us. And love. I mean, love, love changes people. When people experience love just even in the real world, I read this this week, they actually grow physically lovely. Psychologists have studied this. The excitement of being in love, it increases your heart rate, your face glows, your lips look more red. They've actually studied under eye, uh, under eye circles become less noticeable. Your pupils dilate so that your eyes look brighter and clearer. We've been made so that even our bodies begin to look better when loved. See, we're used to a different kind of love, though, if we're honest. The kind of love that most of us experience, taste, have for others. It's a type of love for someone or something uh, that that we perceive that, that, that thing is of great worth. And it creates something of great worth. The love we're most familiar with is drawn to an object because it's expensive or attractive or lends status. That kind of love is Eros. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, when you were looking for your spouse, how many of you walked around and said, Let me just find the biggest beat-up loser I can find so I can build him up and make him into everything God wanted me to be, wanted him to be? Or did you go, well, he's really cute. What do you do for a living? <laughs> right? See, this is the love we're familiar with. Somebody taught us to love this way really well. We're really good at this kind of love. But God is talking about something different. See, at its core, Eros describes the kind of love I give to what satisfies my desires, what wins my admiration, or fulfills my appetites. I, I was remembering, you know, when Joan first started going out with me, I mean, she was so much better looking. I've aged well, but she was, so much, she was so much better looking than I was. And I remember she came to visit me at Rutgers one time, and I remember walking, she came into the room, and I remember the one guy, this guy, Steve, that lived across the hall, he took one look at her, and he's just shaking his head going, something must be wrong with that girl I don't know what it is, what she's doing with him but there was this, and I remember you know what I felt? Pride like Eros was fulfilling me in a sense, look at the girl I've got Eros is love on a treasure hunt we learn about this kind of love early on in life Think of every princess, Disney princess story. Why why does the prince fall in love? Studies actually show adults smile and coo over and kiss and hold pretty babies more than plain looking ones. Fathers are actually, this was studied, are more involved with attractive babies than those who are judged unattractive by independent raiders. Eros, this love that grows out of need and admiration and desire, it's not bad. I mean, it's good that a baby loves his mother because, you know, the the, the eros is needed for for the milk that the mother would provide for life. It's good for a lover to celebrate the beauty of his beloved. But eros alone is too too precarious to build your life on. Because when you wind up in a relationship, and this is most of the relationships we live in, when you wind up in eros-based relationships, it becomes an unwinnable contest to prove that you're pretty enough, or smart enough, or strong enough, or good enough, or spiritual enough to deserve being loved. This is see. When you live this way, what well, God is looking at you is going. You don't know what it's like to love you the way I love you. See, God is, is not is not eros. God is agape. Now I've been preparing these talks for months. I'm, I, I, this stuff really is life-changing. Joan and I, I think we'll share with you over the coming weeks. Come and understand this concept of, of love, what love is. uh, While it is, boy, it'll really crush you as you're starting to actually try to do it. It really will change you and it will grow something incredibly beautiful. Um, I've been wanting to talk about this for months and I told the staff like in July I'm like we're going to do a study and we're going to say God uh, Love is kind of out of first Corinthians, but we're going to cross it out and call it love does and they laughed and said It's a book and uh, I said it is I thought I had an original idea for once Um, And it is a book and it's a good book and and you should read it But it's not really totally what we're going to be talking about today But it is a, a pretty good book. But anyway So I've been thinking about this topic for months and months and months and months and months and uh um We can learn to love one another. I don't know who taught you, but we can learn to love one another. We're going to try to do that. Now, I'm not much of a summer TV watcher, other than watching the Mets lose. Um, But by now, I'm sure some of you have heard of this guy, Michael Ketterer, from America's Got Talent. Michael Ketterer is not a perfect guy. In fact, his wife and him got into a domestic dispute two days ago, and the press was all over that. And uh, Renee actually texted me, isn't this the guy that you're talking about Sunday? And I thought, why does this always happen to me? (laughs) Um, and so he's not a perfect guy by any means, but he and his wife displayed over the summer uh, this concept of agape, what agape is. This is not this romantic, mushy love. It's not, it's just it's, it's love that makes, the un, makes, makes this look like a new gun teddy bear. It's love that takes something that's really quite worthless and gives it worth and value. They did this... The, What they displayed over the summer on TV and in interviews has been such an incredibly great public display of agape. I I just can't think of anything better to show you. So I'm going to show you anyway. Um, Michael Ketter and his wife had a little girl, and his wife and his little girl both nearly died during childbirth, and as a result, they couldn't have any more kids. And uh, the daughter started having these dreams at night of adopting three boys, and I'll let him pick up the story.
1: Hey, my name is Michael, and this is Ivy, and we're the Ketterers. We started adopting children back in 2010. Our daughter Sophia had dreams for about two years—dreams of us adopting three little boys. They were born and living in a meth lab, and so they literally were were just neglected, abandoned. So they were really, really wild. And uh, actually, the caseworker's specific words were that they were like wild wolves they were like feral children and so when when we took them on it was a lot a lot of work we basically had to lock ourselves in our house for a good six months until we felt like we could trust the children to take out in public but uh, we got through all this we started getting to a place of stability with our own children and then that's when we get the call about Roddy. We welcomed this little guy into our home when he first came to us he was completely a vegetable
0: Totally blind.
1: Completely blind. Mute. We just had no idea what we were actually getting into. And so at the beginning, it really was my responsibility to get him to all these appointments because Ivy was still taking care of the other three boys back at the house. And I remember two or three months in just going, God, I don't know if I can do this. But Lord, I I really, if you really want me to keep this child and keep this little boy, I need something else that day I was getting ready for work and I get in my car and I start driving to work and on my way to work the Lord literally gave me a sign and they had just put up a brand new billboard it was the father that was pushing his, his son with cerebral palsy through a marathon and it said been behind his son for 50 marathons and I just remember looking up at that and I broke down I just started crying in the car and I was like Lord that he is my son. I believe it. Soon after that, we started seeing just miraculous things start taking place in this little boy's life. He, had, he has cerebral palsy, but he wasn't born this way. His caregiver, at the time, abused him. She shook him and then threw him across the room. And it caused severe damage to his skull and his head and everything from the trauma of it. Um, but then they also didn't take him to the emergency room for 24 hours after that. So during that time, uh, the bl- the brain lost a lot of blood flow and a lot of oxygen, and that's what causes cerebral palsy. When he fir- originally came to us, he was blind. But today he can fully see. He's got his vision. They told us uh, he would never attach. Obviously, you can see he attached <laughs> to us. He was he's mute. He couldn't talk. They said he would never talk. Today he's talking. Yay! Yeah. They said that he would never be able to, to eat on his own and actually a month ago he started eating by mouth.
2: Every uh, meal he eats.
1: Breakfast, lunch and dinner he eats. Uh, they, they said that he would never walk and he's already taking steps in his walker in physical therapy. So yeah, we've, we have seen amazing just transformation and restoration in this little boy's
2: life. Kick the ball, Roddy. Show Daddy. Like, I went to the neurologist,
0: and he goes, can I just read you the report of um, Roddy the day he came into the hospital? So he pulls up his laptop, and it says, this child will be a vegetable. He'll never connect with anyone. He'll You'll have to move them side to side. There is no hope for his future. He just weeped, and it was, and I was
2: like, all I can say is, it's Jesus that has healed him.
1: It was really one of the first things, you know, one of our first real signs of hope that God was going to really bring transformation to this little boy's life. And I almost stepped out of that. I almost said no. It's just wild to even think that I would even consider that because every day has been so beautiful. He's worth every bit of hard work. He's such a joy, such a pleasure, and actually the hard work isn't even that hard. It's, It's really a joy. And, you know, I feel like a lot of people, when it gets tough, we will back out or we're not even willing to say yes in the first place. But if we did, we would have missed out on, so, on getting to see so much of God's miraculous power and so much of his glory and getting to experience so much of his love. We would have missed out on all of that.
0: Mm-hmm. See, that's agape. Who taught you how to love? This is the kind of thing that Jesus is commanding. He's going, listen, I'm going to give you a crazy command. I'm going to to tell you to go agape one another. This is the kind of love that he chooses to love you with. And he commands us to give it to one another. It changes people. It brings hope to the hopeless. It brings value to the valueless. It brings sight to the blind and, and, and hearing to the deaf and words to the mute. It brings life to the dead. And so let me ask you, who taught you how to love? Do you really know what it's like to love somebody? The way that God loves you? To love the unlovable, to lay your life down for a friend, to agape your enemy? Look, we have a hard time loving our spouses and our kids. We don't know what it's like to love somebody the way that God loves us, but we can learn. See, in church, we seem to study all the old commandments, but not so worry so much about this one. How come we never teach this? How come we don't work on it? How come we don't worry about it? We talk about missions and giving and Bible studies. We evaluate worship. People will will say, well, the preacher's anointed based on how good he speaks. Those things are all important. But listen to what Paul said. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Pause. Do not evaluate me based on how well you think I speak, or, or how, how, whatever. If you want to know if God is at work in my life, look at how I love, and don't look at anything else. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I gave all of my money away to the poor and I gave my body over to hardship that I could boast, but I don't have love. I've gained nothing. Paul just took everything that churches do and said, "Unless you agape one another, you're wasting your time." And then he went on, and perhaps some of the most famous Bible passages in, 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 in all of Scripture, to describe what agape is, and this is what we're going to be doing together over these coming weeks. He says, "Look, agape, let me describe it. It's patient. Agape is kind. We don't know how to love somebody, but we can, and it can change us and change them. If we get agape, do you understand what it would like to be, in a marriage to be loved like this? To give love like this? If we get this right, it can save your marriage. It could heal every division you have in your family. It could bring life to that which is dead and make something beautiful out of something that maybe is a bit ragged. You don't know what it's like to love somebody. But we can learn. Maybe you missed Michael Ketter on America's Got Talent. I did. But when I came across it, I couldn't get the scene out of my head. And so we'll close with this. Uh, Sometime later, he shows up as a singer on America's Got Talent this summer. And as he sings, can I just ask you to let, as he sings, think about God singing this over you. Check it out.
2: Hello. Hello, hello. How are you? Nervous. (laughs) It's okay. And what's your name, please? My name is Michael Ketterer. Where are you from?
1: I'm originally from East Tennessee, but right now I live in Orange County. And
2: tell me a bit about you. What do you do for a living?
1: I'm a pediatric mental health nurse.
2: Okay. And what are you going to be doing for us? Are you a singer? Yes, sir. So this is kind of a different direction, you coming on a show like this, Michael. So tell me what the thought process was, what's, what's the ambition, the dream here?
1: Well, um, my family's my reason why I'm here. My wife and my six children. Six children. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, one of the things that happens, especially because my children came out of foster care, when you're surviving, you can't dream. And that has been one of the most rewarding things: is providing them with a home and a safe environment where they're free to dream. That's nice. And so, I'm here because I want to show them that if their dad can live out his dreams, then nothing's
2: impossible for them. Good for you. Okay, Mike. Well, listen, we're all rooting for you.
1: Thank you. Baby, you don't know what it's like Baby, you don't know what it's like To love somebody To love somebody
2: Do so you know what, when we find singers on these shows, is it about being technical, or is it about being relevant? And sometimes, for me, it's just about being real, and a surprise, if I'm being honest with you, because you were so nervous, I was concerned for you. But, I think, sometimes, actions speak louder than words. be good? Let me tell you, something about your voice, I genuinely mean this is special. And everything is perfect. You deserve it. I really mean that.
0: The new command I give you, love one another, as I've loved you. So you must love one another, and by this everyone will know you're my disciple. If you love one another, it's not a feeling, it's not a noun. Love is a verb, love does, and so can we.